Welcome to ServiceNow Tech Bytes, bringing you an inside look at our products. I'm your host, Steve Miller. Today we're going to talk about upgrades with Chuck Tomasi, TPMM for our platform product. We'll be talking about ways to streamline the process of upgrading to a new ServiceNow release. Stay tuned. Joining us today is Chuck Tomasi, TPMM for ServiceNow, a top contributor to the ServiceNow community, and the smiling face and red bow tie in many ServiceNow videos. Welcome to the show, Chuck. Hey, thank you very much, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, one thing I've got to ask you, what the heck is a TPMM? <laughs> I love that. I get the craziest titles in this organization. <laughs> it stands for Technical Product Marketing Manager. You see, my focus is on the ServiceNow platform, mostly around custom applications and integrations. In short, I use the raw material from our platform product management team and create videos, web page content, presentations for our developer meetups, creator con labs, demo apps, and, and put that all together to tell the story of how customers can use the ServiceNow platform to solve their business needs. Okay. Well, how on earth did you get to this position? <laughs> Sheer dumb luck. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was a customer originally. Back in 2008, we were repatriating our service desk and we chose ServiceNow as the software platform. Uh, I had done that for a couple of years and through a reorg, I was let go like a rogue planet being spun off <laughs> and became a free agent. ServiceNow picked me up. I started in professional services. I spent some time with the solution consulting group and then more, most recently came over to product marketing. Okay. Um, and maybe you could tell us a little, what do you do when you're not doing ServiceNow stuff? <laughs> Who is Chuck Tomasi, the not ServiceNow guy? That's a hard question because I'm all, it seems like I'm always doing something related to ServiceNow and programming it. But uh, for fun, I make podcasts. I've been doing that since about 2004, which has led to other opportunities like writing a book. We recently published Podcasting for Dummies, third edition this past October. Uh, I help out with the ServiceNow developer meetups. There's just, it's a, it's a, it's a big nebulous ball of nerdy fun. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our topic today. Before we start out, get into the nitty gritty of upgrading, could you give us a quick background? Like in the context of ServiceNow, what does it mean to upgrade to a new release? And why would users want to upgrade or need to upgrade? Well, it's very similar to any other software, whether you're talking about Evernote on your phone or uh, Microsoft Office in your entire enterprise. It's, it's to get the latest features, to be more productive, to avoid known issues and bugs and security patches and whatnot. To stay current means that, that you're reducing risk while increasing productivity. That's the end game for any software release. We've come out with a lot of features just in the past couple of years between Helsinki and Istanbul, Jakarta and Kingston, that uh, even if you're a year behind, you're missing some incredible new functionality around automation and intelligence and uh, not to mention, you know, like I said, all the security things that go with it. So there's every reason in the world for folks to keep current on this. What are the tricky points of upgrading? The tricky points, that's where ServiceNow is a double-edged sword. One of the things I've always preached to people is the wonderful thing about ServiceNow is you can do anything, and the 
risky thing about ServiceNow is you can do anything. And if you're not careful, upgrades can be painful. I'll use that word. If you've over-customized and testing those customizations and maintaining them, and sometimes we change things on the back end as much as we try not to, if you just go back a few years and look at the user interface, it's radically different. So if you had customizations around tweaking forms that weren't in line with our best practices, and I'll get to that a little later, then you could be at risk for upgrades. Now, if you've been a good citizen and you've limited the customizations and you've been following best practices, upgrades become a lot less shorter because you have less testing to do. Well, maybe not less testing to do if you've, if you've made those changes, but there's less remediation to do for those tests. Okay, well, so let's dive into it. You talk about best practices. What should users do to make upgrades go smoothly? Well, I've, I've broken this down into five major bullets. One, the first is use project management practices for your upgrades. We'll also be talking about following the documented upgrade process. Then we'll look at uh, some of the sub-bullets on that. Uh, one is reviewing skip changes, creating and managing test plans, and finally, looking towards the future, how do you streamline those future upgrades so that it becomes an easier and easier process learning from past experience? Okay. Well, you mentioned project management practices. Tell us a little more about that. So it, it really falls into any other project. Treat, treat your upgrade as you would any other IT project. This is no different than upgrading Oracle or SAP or any other software application or any other IT project for that matter, whether it's bringing in infrastructure or creating a whole new system from the ground up. You've got to allocate your resources, set your project phases and timelines, and most importantly, communicate, communicate, communicate not only to your stakeholders about what is the project status, but also to that wonderful mass of end users that are umpteen sizes bigger than we are, that they know what's going on. They, you can communicate those expectations so there are no surprises. And if you do this properly, and I've seen some really creative ways of doing this, you can turn what would normally be a negative experience of an upgrade into a positive experience, gain advocates, get them on board, and pretty soon you've got your lines of business excited. HR is very excited for the new upgrade because they get all this new functionality. That's really the, what we're looking for. Anybody's looking for in an upgrade cycle is turn it from that risk averse, oh my gosh, what's going to happen into this positive experience where people say, I don't know how we lived without this. I'm glad we did that. A additionally, I'd like to, to mention that you know, ServiceNow does have a project and portfolio suite application in the platform. So not to get too meta, but you could manage your ServiceNow upgrade on ServiceNow quite easily. All right. The next item you mentioned is to be sure to follow the documented upgrade process. Say a little more about that. Absolutely. This is something that has been tried and true over the years. Like I said, I've, I've been doing ServiceNow for about 10 years and seen many, many upgrades and, and seeing this process refined as we grow, and not only as we grow, but as our customer base has grown. When, when I was a customer, a, a big customer might be 15, 30,000 employees, and now we're talking hundreds of thousands or, or just huge user bases, huge customer bases with many, many more instances than just a standard dev test prod. And and this process has evolved to keep up. It's It's a very baseline thing, but does go into some contingencies if you've got uh, 
other instances. But in summary, the best practice is documented on our doc site. If you go into any releases, release notes, whether it's Kingston or Jakarta or the upcoming London release, we've got this documented process or search the doc site for upgrade an instance and there you'll find it step-by-step with checklists. It's a wonderful thing. At a high level, you plan. Review the release notes, make your project plan, do your planning accordingly. And like any other project, the more you plan, the better it works. Then on an iterative cycle for each of your sub-prod instances, dev, test, sandbox, UAT, whatever, starting furthest away from production is clone from production. So you've got your latest and greatest changes, upgrade to the target release, review the skip changes. And I'll get more in detail on that, but you want to make sure you know what has and has not been upgraded. Then test, run your tests. We'll get more into test plans in in, uh, step four. Run your tests, and if any tests fail, take appropriate actions by remediating them. Sometimes this is turning something on or off. Sometimes it's making additional code changes. It depends on, on how complex that remediation needs to be. And then finally, when you've done that cycle of clone, upgrade, review, test, remediate for all of your subprod instances, then the alleluia moment comes that you get to upgrade prod and apply those remediation changes. I've got a few tips. If you've got a sandbox instance, this is usually something that's not in the dev test prod development promotion cycle. It usually sits outside of that stack and is cloned from production every once in a while. People call it sandbox because they like to play around maybe test a new plugin, see how it goes before they get it into dev. Keeps dev from getting too polluted, if you will. That's a great place to start. If you don't have a sandbox instance, another tip is we have free personal developer instances over at developer.servicenow.com, which get the latest release sometimes weeks in advance of the public release. So I was using Kingston in late November of 2017, it wasn't available for customers to upgrade their own instances until mid-January. So you could get a feel of, of what's going to happen. Has the UI changed? Can plugins? We won't, you won't have your production data on there, but you would still be able to test out some of those new features and say, is this worth it for us to immediately upgrade? Or should we wait a month or two so we can get this other stuff out of the way? So that's an option as well. And uh, I've also seen customers turn angst into success by doing mini training sessions. Get those users, get those process owners, get the get the lines of business on board by doing some brown bag lunches would be an example I got from one customer. And finally, when you get to the end of this whole process, as in any other project, you want to do justice, due diligence, and do a retrospective. What worked well about going to Kingston and what can we learn when we go to London? So you can take some of those lessons forward. Okay. One question I had is, would you do the upgrade process iteratively, working your way up from the sandbox, dev, and so on, each one of those being a rehearsal for the next one so that you refine the process by the time you get to production? Is that how you do it? Absolutely. I have no doubt that people are going to find things in test or UAT, as some people call it, that didn't show up in dev that will need additional remediation. And then when you get to production, you've got higher confidence that production is going to be a successful upgrade and all the necessary patches are going to flow right on it. Okay, so it sounds like the entire upgrade process, doing all of those instances sequentially, that can take a little while, even though the result of it is to streamline the upgrade on your prod instance. Is that right? 
Correct. The entire process from start to finish is really a wild variable. It depends on how many instances you have, how long you've been a customer, and how how in-depth your your configuration and customizations have been, which then it, it sort of expands like like the universe. There are some customers who've been on the platform for three years. They can get an upgrade done of three or four instances in a, a matter of a few weeks. There are other customers where it may take longer. So to shorten this cycle, that's a great segue into, into the next one. We've added a feature in Jakarta last summer of 2017 called Review Skip Changes. When you do an upgrade on, let's say, your first instance, Sandbox or Dev, we've got a new related list in the upgrade history that says, here are the 10,000 things that have changed. And we've added a priority to that list that allows you to focus on what's really important. If it's just a label change on a field, yes, I know I changed the label on the incident form from short description to you know, something else. That's, that's a priority five. I filter out all the priority five. Suddenly my 10,000 changes that were skipped goes down to about 500. Like, whoa, now I've really got, 500 feels a lot more manageable. Let's keep looking at what's really important, what needs changing, what was skipped, what am I going to do about that? And that's that's one very, very effective way to shorten that upgrade cycle because you know, let's let's ignore all the field label changes and choice lists that that we know fit our process. That's not paramount for reviewing, so leave it alone. So Chuck, just to make sure everyone understands, these skip changes, they are the result of customizations that the customer has put in themselves, and those are not touched during the upgrade process. Is that right? That's correct. There's there's a number of reasons why something may be skipped, and I'm glad you, you highlighted that, because it may be something as simple as, uh, like I said, a label change, but there may be things that are changed without your direct intervention. If I change record X, it's also going to change records Y and Z that are dependent on X. And, and those will show up in the skip changes record. Sometimes, like I said, they're just normal configuration. I'm changing choices on a choice list. I'm changing labels on a field. They're very benign. Other times, if you go into, say, an out-of-the-box business rule or script include, something that ServiceNow has provided and you make a conscious change to that, that can have ramifications on anything from the way your process flows or uh, risk calculation on a change request or a number of ways that the logic works. So you want to be aware of what has changed. And it's, it's very difficult, especially in a large development team, to understand or keep track of that on, on a daily basis, especially when there are some implicit changes rather than explicit changes. Okay, and this really harkens back to what you were saying, how the one good thing about ServiceNow is you can do anything, and one tricky thing about ServiceNow is you can do anything. Those things that you're talking about, that's what caused the skip changes and the trickiness. Exactly, exactly. And and there's there's two schools of thought here that I want to bring out in into when should you change something and how should you change it. For years, we've been saying, if you need to modify something that ServiceNow provided, let's say a business rule, you deactivate it, you just uncheck the active box, make your own copy and modify that one. That's all wonderful because you won't get any warnings or errors when you get this upgrade because we ignore just simple uncheck the active flag. We'll continue to upgrade that. The downside is if we provide you new functionality and you've deactivated it, you never heard about it in the skip changes, you won't get that functionality. So there's, there's, there may be an actual positive side 
to modifying something that ServiceNow provided, as long as you're aware of it and you always have the ability to revert to what we provide. Go to the latest release. Say, you know what? I put in this change as a workaround until Kingston came along when they when ServiceNow included it with the Kingston release. Now I can ignore mine and move on with something that ServiceNow will continue to support. So there's two different ways to look at this depending on how you want to manage those changes. And it sounds like ServiceNow is trying to make that situation a little easier by trying to capture common customizations in its standard product features. Absolutely. There has been a lot of focus in the last year or so, even, even further back than that, on how can we make upgrades easier from the technology standpoint. We don't want to impose this new process on a customer and make this more painful than it needs to be. By the same token, we don't want to shackle anybody to say, that you can't do that, but we want to guide people in, in best practices to, to help them recognize if you make this change, it could have this ramification. So there's, there's going to be a lot more focus on how can we help the customer recognize what is a good change, what is a necessary, possibly risk-inducing change. Okay, so it sounds like this new direction can help both in reducing the complexity of upgrading and also in freeing customers from the responsibility, from the burden of doing these customizations in the first place. Exactly. You also mentioned, I believe, test plans, mapping out your testing. My favorite, and I say that with a tongue-in-cheek a little bit, because test plans always seem to come last, like documentation when anybody's writing software. It's, it's one of those necessary evils, but until you've written not only the new functionality, be it a business rule or script include or whatever, you, you need the test to validate that work. And not only just to validate it when you release it the first time into production, but also successive changes, it really pays the dues when it comes to upgrades. Because if you if you employ something like our automated test framework, which does a decent job of of functionally testing your work, open the form, set some fields, did these other fields change, that sort of thing. It's a functional test. But I believe ATF was originally in Istanbul, so it's been out for a little over a year. And it helps reduce that cycle. Now when I get to the upgrade and say, I need to check my incident management process or my safety request process or, or something else, if you've got that automated test framework test ready or a test suite, you can literally quite push a button, go get a cup of coffee, come back and see the results. Did it pass or did it not? If it didn't, let's dig into why it failed and where and, and take remediation action on that. So automated test framework is a huge step forward in helping customers test their configuration changes, their customizations, their, their whole process on an end-to-end -end functionality basis. If you don't have the ability to do automated test framework, you can still document with an, an additional product that we've got. This is all built into the platform. None of this is what I'm talking about comes at any cost, is test management, where you document what should happen and what the expected result is. So I, I can put together a series of tests that I can hand over to somebody, easier to control, easier to manage than, say, a spreadsheet, because I can now delegate and partition and say, you work on these tests and you work on those tests. And I can include things like clear step-by-step -step instructions, what are the expected results, what are the actual results, uh, did you get any error messages, uh, and, and any screenshots that may be informative to whoever has to remediate this test. 
I, I recall a project I was on years ago when when the testers would just come up and say, well, that didn't work. I said, what did you do? I, I, it, there was this back and forth about what did you do? What was expected? What what were the steps taken? And and it was this big, huge dialogue. And just observing those five simple things and and documenting them can save a lot of time Again, we want to compress that testing cycle as much as possible. So having clear communications between the testers, the developers, and whoever else might be involved in this testing process can really uh, speed things up by having accurate information. It's a bit like when you get an email that's unclear. You have to go back and forth getting clarification. Same kind of thing here. Well, it sounds like the whole testing process in general and the automated test framework in particular, it sounds like that's another aspect of the upgrade process that can be uh, refined and made more efficient as you move from sandbox to dev and so on. Absolutely. And and, and I don't want to discount third-party tools. I know a lot of customers are big on Selenium for doing their testing. That requires a bit more development, and we're not trying to replace existing test tools, we're trying to make it more efficient. And by incorporating it into the platform, we do that as well. Um, also want to throw in uh, a, a note that while you're doing your upgrade cycle, now think about it, if you upgraded your development instance from Jakarta to Kingston, test is still on Jakarta, production is still on Jakarta, you have to put those enhancements and bug fixes on hold because those should only be done in dev. And you can't take a dev Kingston fix and put it on a Jakarta instance. It would be bad. It's, it's not even supported. Don't go there. I've tried it. it. It just leads to heartache and tears. So many customers have asked us, well, what do I do? I can't put my, my bug fixes and enhancements on hold for a month or two while I'm doing an upgrade cycle. There is a way, and we have this documented, and we're going to be sharing this document with you very soon on something we call the Customer Success Center, which will be launched at Knowledge18, depending on when you're listening to this. That, that, that is going to include a way to continue to do that. It does involve additional instances, which come at a cost, so you can judge whether your organization can do this or not, but allows you a path to continue that Jakarta development while the Kingston upgrade is going on in your same organization. And then, of course, when you get production up to... Kingston or whatever your target release is, you can then go back and upgrade those other instances and still be able to test and remediate while you're doing your day-to-day bug fixes and enhancements and get those up to production. So there is a way to do it, but uh, it does come at a little more management and, 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 and price cost. So wanted to throw that in. I call that the dual stack approach. Well, earlier you mentioned, uh, we, we talked a little bit about carefully considering your customizations and uh, balancing the value of those versus the trickiness when it comes to upgrade. Did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the biggest thing you can do is ask yourself on any requirement, is this, uh, first find out how to do it, and, and then is it worth the cost of implementation? Not just... Uh, I, I, there, there, are, there are so many developers that are just interested in knocking down stories. Let's get as much code written as we can that day and go on to the next. And hey, I've, 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 I've done 20 stories today. It's a great day. They may not be sustainable going forward. I, I recall a project years ago. It was not ServiceNow, but it was, it was another platform. And my predecessor, every time a requirement came in and said, hey, could you add a checkbox for this or a field to do that? By the time I inherited the project after he was let go... 
It was a mess. A mess. <laughs> it was not a good situation. And we had to go back and do a complete redesign of that process and the forms and tables that implemented that. So that was very costly. So don't just implement something on blind faith that this is what somebody asked me for. Let's go do it. Uh, I, I see this all the time in the community. People will ask a question and say, can this be done? And I say, yes, it can. But in this case, I wouldn't because it's it's going to be highly customizable. Like I said before, you can do anything, but again, you, you're going to have to pay for it in maintenance of that. If, if it turned out to be, you know, even say, a couple hundred lines of script include code. I've written this JavaScript. It's a wonderful thing. It's easy to understand. It's well-documented. Is that the case for somebody two years from now or five years from now who has to maintain that? Is it compatible with the platform in five years? How do you test that? Who's maintaining those tests? You see how this is kind of compounding on itself. So always ask yourself, is the value of this functionality worth the cost of implementation, maintaining and testing this for all eternity? And we've got quotes from customers that say, we enforce a culture of high cost on customizations. Now, we, we didn't really talk about the difference between customization and configuration, but I'm going to draw a very broad paintbrush and say, if you've got to write JavaScript, it's a customization. It's something that, and the platform is meant to be extensible like that. Now, Fred Luddy, when he originally came up with the ServiceNow concept, said, I'm going to write a software platform that is extensible. So not only are we providing uh, a functionality, but we we'll, we want the customers to put their processes on our platform. If all we had was drag and drop forms and and some workflows that didn't allow that, we would be restricting our our ability to address customer needs. But by doing that, we also have to ask the customer to ask themselves: Is this worth the cost of implementation? So in general, if you have to write script or or maybe make a a sophisticated custom workflow. That's customization, and, and you want to be very careful when you do that because, again, it could come back to bite you in the upgrade process. I say could because that's a nice feed into the next segment about streamlining those future upgrades. Okay, well, let's go on. What would you have to say about that? <laughs> Can't leave me hanging on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, as I mentioned, assess and understand the true cost of those customizations. Take a look at them, and and if you don't know how something can be implemented, because there's going to be developers or process analysts that say, this is what we need. You know, when I push this button, widgets come out the back end. If the developer doesn't know how to implement that, and there may be multiple ways, some may be uh, relying on built-in functionality, and some may require custom functionality, the community is a great place to go and explore. Ask thousands of people who have various levels of experience and and they'll tell you as, as honestly as I will, hopefully to say, yes, it's going to take this. And it's, if it's out of your comfort zone, there's a key indicator that maybe I shouldn't do this, at least not yet. Uh, there are, because all customers do not have the same level of competency with scripting. And, and again, if, if you say to yourself, I'm new to JavaScript, I'm new to the platform, maybe that's a requirement that needs holding on to. Or maybe you engage professional services from ServiceNow or one of our partners to implement that, but make sure you get a test and a test plan and you know how to support that change throughout the future. 
So many times I've seen people come in, solve a problem, they go, great, and then they're left holding the bag a year later for the upgrade going, why didn't it work? How do I fix it? Is that going to cost more money? Again, assess the value of those customizations and the cost against them. Second tip, observe technical best practices. If you are writing scripts, if you are customizing forms, if you are doing any of this, we have documented for the last five years or more the technical best practices around doing implementations. This is everything from when should I use a before business rule to an after business rule? What, where should I put the fields on the form? How should I, how should I organize my scripts into, into reusable components? There are ways to mitigate the upgrade issues, the remediation that you need to take if you follow that. First and foremost, I'm just going to throw this out there because I know it's abused on almost a daily basis, is avoid DOM manipulation in client scripts. Because we've changed the UI several times over the last four years, if you're accessing discrete components in your browser and we change those components and how they're addressed and what they're named, your script breaks. So it was really nice that you had this beautiful icon on a list that worked in Dublin and you get to Helsinki and it's broken. Why? DOM manipulation. It's the number one cause of upgrade issues. So if you, if you follow the best practices, understand what the cost of implementing that customization is. If it can't be done with our APIs, then maybe it shouldn't be done. And there's no harm in telling the person making the requirement, you know what? That comes at a big cost. Do you understand this? Do you want to go forward or flat out? This shouldn't be done. Uh, and finally, if you have or have not been using best practices, we offer a service called a configuration review or a config review for short. It is a pay for service. Someone from ServiceNow comes in, looks at your instance, grades it top to bottom and says, how are you doing here? And what's that? And everything from maintainability to scalability, performance to usability, and gives you a very broken down step-by-step. -step. Here's what we found. Here's why you don't want to do this. And here's the way to remediate this. And then it's up to you if you choose to remediate that. So theoretically, if your configure review went very, very well, you will have an easier time doing an upgrade. If you don't know, then you're going to find out with all those skip changes and testing that you have to do later. Well, those sound like great tips for streamlining things for the future. Is there anything else you might want to add about upgrading? Uh, no, really, I just want to send you off with these takeaways that when you treat your ServiceNow upgrade like a project, you have greater visibility, buy-in, and success. So make sure to use the proven upgrade process as a framework to avoid issues. Always review those skip changes so you can gain visibility to customizations that can be reverted if you need to, to the ServiceNow out-of-box or baseline, as some people call it. And, and don't forget that using the latest techniques to review those skip changes like that, that filtering out that list of skip changes can really save you a lot of time. Uh, build and maintain those test plans. Keep them up to date. Keep them handy as you build new functionality. Keep the test plans up to date as well. And while the platform is highly customizable, any customization comes at a cost at the end of the day. So keep your instance as close to that quote-unquote out-of-the-box configuration as possible and, and try to use configuration change to reduce that implementation testing and upgrade costs. Okay, those are, those are good takeaways. Um, and let me just 
touch on one other thing. Over the course of our discussion here, you've mentioned some good sources of information. You've mentioned the documentation itself the for the upgrade process. You've mentioned best practice documentation, and you also mentioned the community. Is there anything else, uh, other good sources of information for our customers? The, the big one that's coming up that is going to include not only upgrades, but many, many other aspects that customers have been asking for is the Customer Success Center that's going to be launched at Knowledge18. It, it, is, it is a long-awaited and, frankly, in my opinion, long-overdue repository of these best practices and techniques to help customers guide them on their journey as it, whether you're just starting to implement a CMDB to doing an upgrade that you've been using your instance for five or more years. There's, there's going to be a lot of information, and I, I I'm, can't tell you how excited I am to finally see that come to fruition. There's a lot of talented people working on this, and it's a very high-profile pro- project all the way up to John Donahoe, our CEO. Well, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to seeing that, too. I've been hearing some buzz about that around the company and uh, looking forward to, to learning more. Well, Chuck, I just wanted to thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I think the information you've provided, that I, I hope that'll really uh, help customers um, reduce the anxiety a bit about uh, about upgrading. I do, too. That's, that's our goal, is to help customers go from every second or third release to keep them current and get that functionality. If you've got any questions, you can always throw me a message on the community I'd be happy to chime in. I know there are a thousand other questions around upgrades, but I wanted to just paint the the broad picture of some best practices that have helped our customers. And, and, and everything I've told you here today, I've already vetted out with a number of customers and gotten some really wonderful tips and quotes back to sort of shape this that that will become the best practice document on the customer success center. So it's it's not just me spouting off facts. This is this is interactive with our customers to get to this end result. All right. Well, thank you very much and I hope very much that we'll uh, see you back here again soon. I hope so too. Thanks, Steve. Please tell us what you think of this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For information on any ServiceNow topic, take a look at our product documentation, knowledge base, or now support YouTube channel. Thanks for listening.